Pondering the Bible. A deeper dive into the books of the Bible. Greetings and welcome to Pondering the Bible. I'm your co-host, Ken Corkins. And with me, as always, is my longtime friend and pastor, Rocky Ellison. Hello. This is Season 5, Episode 3, and we pray that we're sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So just a bit of housekeeping here. Yes. Next week, I will be at sea. Yeah. On, taking a little vacation. On the night that we typically record this, you will be... Sailing away on vacation. <laughs> and I love doing the podcast, but not enough to give up that vacation. So <laughs> what we thought we might do is kind of like what we did with week one when I had COVID. So now season five is ruined because of me. I've ruined all of season five. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will. We'll just post Rocky's sermon from next week with none of the background study and, and none of the funnies. But that way, we, if you're following along with us uh, through Advent, you'll at least get the heart of the message from Rocky's sermon. Like I said, this is the season of Advent still. Yes. That's what season five is about. Uh, what's the theme this week? The theme of Advent uh, week three is joy. Joy. And what is the symbol? It is the shepherd. The shepherds and joy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so with that, what book are we reading from? We are going back to uh, the book of Isaiah. Right back to where we started from. Only tonight we're in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Okay, and? It's a very classic Christmas prophecy. It gets read a lot at this time of year. Uh, I am going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Tonight, I needed a very technically accurate translation, and uh, I found that NLT, even NIV, both take slight liberties to make it more readable. Tonight won't be quite as readable, but it'll be very accurate. Okay. There will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the trampling warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time onward and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Let's kind of jump we're back to Isaiah. Yeah. Um, but two weeks ago, we did Isaiah 7. Yeah. This week, we're doing Isaiah 9. Right. Why did we not do Isaiah 7 <laughs> and 9? So why did we skip? Why didn't we do this verse or this reading last week? Because um, as we move through, uh, especially as we spend a little bit of time in verse number one, 
it's, it's a very emotional uh, picture that Isaiah paints with his prophecy, gloom, anguish, mm. contempt, uh, the shadow of darkness that overwhelms everything. He's talking about this really profound, both physical oppression that the northern tribes are going through, as well as in an emotional depression. Gloom, But then he's going he's gonna to provide a cure for it, and the cure brings literally joy. He right. says that three times in verse 3, and, uh, and the theme of week three of Advent is joy. And so I wanted to tie together the joy that, that the Lord can use to break even the deepest and most proud, profound depression. Very good. I'll allow it. Okay, so we're in Isaiah. Let's get back to the historical context. Where are we at in this, this, the years of Isaiah's prophetic journey, I guess? Right. He's been a prophet. Well, he has been called by God for about five years, but really didn't have much of a ministry going on. Uh, in the meantime, politically, uh, if you'll remember, Israel has gone through a civil war. There's become two different countries, Samaria in the north and Judah in the in the south. And Assyria is the, the biggest, baddest bully on the block. They are coming to town. Everyone knows they're marching this direction, and it's struck deep terror into the heart of everyone. And a, uh, uh, Isaiah finally gets called to actually deliver a prophecy. And back in chapter 7, he goes to Ahaz and says, you've got to trust God. Don't don't ally yourself with Egypt or with anybody else. Um, just trust God uh, to get you through this war. And uh, God will show you a sign. And the sign is a, a virgin becomes pregnant, gives birth to a son, yet remains a virgin. Um, and, and that's how you'll know that God can get you out of this war. God is going to save us all through this baby boy. Immediately after that, Isaiah now kicks into high gear, and he's going to be one of the most profound and prolific prophets for the entire rest of his life. He collects a team of disciples whose job is to follow him around and write down um, everything that he says. They do some editing later uh, to clean it up and, and make it more readable. But he now has disciples whose job is, God is speaking through me aggressively now. Make sure you get all this down. And chapters 8 and 9 are the continuation of, of this new prophet, prophecy that, that Isaiah has. And, and, and when we get to chapter 9, he's still talking about the boy. <laughs> he, he, chapter 8 and chapter 9 both continue to talk about the boy. I've always wondered why Isaiah was such a large a volume of book. Yeah. And now I know because he had... Essentially, scribes running around saying, here's what he said, here's what he said, and yeah. writing it all down. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, how did we get that information? I mean, you know, some of the prophets like, when did they have time to write it down? Yeah. But, yeah. but Isaiah had a team yeah. <laughs> to help him write it down. That's interesting. I never knew that. Gold team rules. Okay. So what is this prophecy about? It's kind of two halves, right? It starts yeah. out really dark, yeah. and then it turns halfway. It might not be halfway, but at some point it turns to the joy portion that we talked about. Right. So what is this prophecy about? When uh, Joshua first brought the Israelites into their new home, into the promised land, into what would become Israel, um, once they had had cleared out most of the, the Canaanites, he awarded large geographic areas to each of the tribes right. uh, as your 
kind of like your state uh, for each of you. Right. Immediately west of the Sea of Galilee are the tribe of Zebulun and the tribe of Naphtali. Uh, what's really interesting about those is the major city in Zebulun is Nazareth. Hmm. And the major city in Naphtali is Capernaum. Mm. So this is where Jesus is going to grow up, and then it's where he's going to do most of his ministry. So the region that that he's prophesying about is going to be massively affected by the presence of the baby uh, from the time he's born until he dies. At the same time, these are the two areas that the first time Assyria came through, they found them so pleasant and so beautiful that they took them for their own. Normally, they just came through, killed people, and rounded up money and and left town. Slash and burn and run. Yes. Yeah. But Tiglath-Pileser third said, I like this. This is a good place. So instead of killing everybody there— he just made it a, a vassal state uh, that, that belonged to Assyria, and he leaves Assyrian overlords there in charge of the people. And so life in these two tribal areas, these two states, becomes horrible. Yeah. This is about 10 years before uh, Isaiah becomes a prophet and all of this happens, uh, the year 732 B.C. Uh, and so when when Isaiah goes to Ahaz and tells him it's all going to be okay, all he has to do is go, look at life in Zebulun and Naphtali. It's horrible. Yeah. It, it's, it's so oppressive. Um, Isaiah uses three—actually, he uses four phrases to describe what life is like there. The first, he uses the word gloom. Yeah. Uh, it's the Hebrew word uh, moef, and it means this— pervasive murkiness. You can't, it's when you can't see, no matter what direction you look, you can't see anything. Right. My NLT translates it as darkness. 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 Yeah. yeah with those who walk in darkness, yeah. you'll see a great light. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And, and so um, it's, uh, if you move at all, you're now lost. So it's this, this uh, physically, it's the inability to move or do anything productive. Emotionally, it's when you feel blocked up. Right. I, I can't, I don't know what to do next. I'm, I'm without options and, and, and uh, I just don't know where, what I should try next. He uses the word anguish. Uh, it's the Hebrew word, a mistake. And it's when you hate your life so bad, you pray at night, I wish I were dead. Now it's a, it's a sin to take your own life, but but the Hebrews uh, in Zebulon and Naphtali would go to bed at night and and pray. If you are a good God, if you are a loving God, kill me in my sleep mm. so I don't wait. And that's the word translated as as anguish. And you can see physically that's where they were. People experiencing depression today often feel that same emotion, the like, same I hopelessness, just, yeah, no matter what. Yeah, just just I've had it. I'm out. Yeah, Take I just me out. just. Somebody end this for me. And then he uses the word contempt, the Hebrew word hechal, and it's this feeling that it will never end, that this is eternal. It's going to last forever. And then uh, in verse 2, uh, he says, those who have lived in a land of deep darkness, again, he's talking about Naphtali and, and Zebulon, but 
the, the actual phrase he uses there is, who live in the shadow of death. It's the same phrase. I was going to say, that's Psalm 23. It right? is. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. It's the exact same phrase. Um, and it's really interesting because Jesus frequently talks about hell and what hell is like. Jesus gives us metaphors for hell. And one of the ways Jesus frequently describes hell is this never-ending blackness. You can't see anything. You can't see your hand in front of your face, and you can't hear anything. It's completely silent because you are totally alone. Hell is for people who've said, I don't believe in God. I don't want anything to do with God. And God says, fine, I will put you where you are alone, where my presence does not go. And it's this overwhelming solitude and just this draining aloneness, loneliness. Uh, that's that's the what the phrase means, uh, shadow of death, under the shadow of death. And that's how Isaiah describes both what people feel like in Zebulun and Naphtali and what Life is like what there. Life yeah. is like there. Yeah, emotionally, what it what it's like, and so so there are these both a physical and emotional components to the phrasing that that Isaiah uses there about how how gloomy and dark and depressed and horrible life is uh, in those two regions. And so you can see why King Ahaz would go. Then why in the world would I want to just trust God? Because that's coming right. For that's us. on his way down here. <laughs> yeah, I don't want anything to do with that because yeah. it sounds horrible. So I should do something before that happens to yeah. us. And so yeah, that's that's a tough a, a tough challenge, if you will. Yeah, right? yeah. Should I? Not do anything and trust God, it doesn't. From a human standpoint, that makes no sense. No, none at all. So it can be very challenging, hard to do. Yeah. Okay. The other place they bring up, or he brings up, we talked about Naphtali and Zebulon. Yeah. But he talks a lot about um, Galilee. These two regions will become Galilee of the Gentiles because they're owned by the Assyrians now. They will forever be tainted in Jewish. In Jewish society, right, because they're mudbloods, half breeds. They were the Jewishness was bred out by the Assyrians yeah. over time, and so yeah. yeah, that's where we get all the strife between Judah yeah. and the northern area that we talked about. With so they'll just rename that whole because it's the Sea of Galilee. They'll just rename that whole region. Seven hundred years later, they'll rename it Galilee of the Gentiles. Right, that's just. Those people, <laughs> those people live. Technically, it's our land, but we don't like those people. Yeah, they're they're, they're not true Jews anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. What happens in Galilee? Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, it, in ver starting in verse two, Isaiah talks about change that is coming, and and one of the first changes that he talks about is a great light is coming. A light is shining on them. Um, Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, served a god named Shamash, and Shamash was a sun god. And on the day that he crowned himself king of Galilee, of Zebulon and Naphtali, he announced to them all, your sun only shines because I permit it to be so. Uh, I, I control the light. I control the darkness. Uh, you, have, you don't even have sunrise and sunset unless I bring them. Hmm. And so verse 2 is a big statement when Isaiah says, but daylight is coming back to these regions, and it's not coming 
from Shamash. It's coming from somewhere else. So that's got to be good. And then in verse three, he goes, joy happy. Joy is coming back to you, people of Galilee. Um, And you've been treated like farm animals. uh, At least that's how you feel. And the yoke that you've used to, to plow your fields and, the, and the, the stick that's used to beat you and drive you, these are both going to be broken and taken away from you. That's verse 4. And then in verse 5, you've been at war, at least in your souls. You've been at war for, for a couple decades now. Um, the tradition was after a war, after a battle was over, it was— the battlefield was completely littered with debris. It was a dangerous place mm. to go even after the battle was over. And so common, commonly, uh, people from nearby communities would come out, they'd collect weapons from the dead and fallen and, 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 and put them somewhere. And then everything else, bodies, clothing, smashed war wagons and chariots, anything else that was left in the, in the battlefield, they would put into a huge uh, a pile and burn it all. And that was a sign that the battle is over. When you see this bonfire, war is over. Mm. And so Isaiah references that. We're going to have a bonfire because the war of your soul, of your deep depression, is over. Excellent. Um, so how does this happen? <laughs> right? It's the baby okay. happens to be the same baby from uh, chapter 7. He, he talks about that baby coming. And uh, what's really wonderful is you have to see this as Jesus. You have to. Um, in, in verse 6, for a child has been born, uh, will be born to us. It's going to be ours. It's Mary will be his mother. She's going to bring him into the world. But he's our Baby is what Isaiah is telling the Jews. That that kid is ours. He belongs to us. Right. And my NLT is uh, for a child is born to us. Yes. Yeah, same yeah. idea. In fact, there's there's two parts to that. There, a child is born to us. That tells us he comes into the world the normal, healthy human way. So mm-hmm. the child will be 100 percent man. But it's followed by the phrase unto us a son. Is given, right? And the phrase for son and given there implies deity. So he's also one hundred percent God. So in this, in in just that one or two sentences there, uh, Isaiah is already telling us the nature of Jesus. The nature of Jesus, exactly. <laughs> Whoa! Wants us to know when it happens who what we're looking at. I found it kind of interesting. Like I said, I was reading through the NLT. Uh, and it talks about in verse six, um, the government will rest on the shoulders. And so I read, I interpret that myself differently than how it was yeah. in your NRSV over there, because it was authority, yes. not government. And that's, and that's very one of the reasons, different. That's one of the reasons why I wanted the NRSV tonight, because that is a more accurate translation. All right. And so we've we've read and understood that the government will rest on his shoulders almost as and it, when Jesus was walking around, the Roman government was on him. And so I've always interpreted it that way. It's just foretelling that the Romans or the government at the time, it happened to be the Romans, would be persecuting him. But when I read it from the NRSV, like you did, it's like, oh, his authority. Yeah. It's, it's a different interpretation and it means different things, at least when I yes. interpret it in my head. It's yeah, very, very you're interesting. Right. And the final result of his coming and of his exerting his authority. Um, actually, let me real quick. Yeah, he's given four names, right? 
wonderful counselor. And that, uh, that's a phrase uh, that combines uh, intelligence and information um, and understanding. Basically, it says he's going to be wiser than you could ever possibly hope to be. And we actually see that when Jesus walks around. He's a wise, yeah, wise yeah. man. Wise guy, huh? And, and so that's the first name that he gives to him is, is you know, supreme intelligent, uh, followed by mighty God. And the two words that he chooses to use here mean a victorious warrior. Hmm. Um, so he will also be uh, someone who wages a war and wins. And you and I recognize that as the war against sin. Right. That's not the, the first interpretation you might draw from that. And that has caused consternation over yeah. the years. Yes. Even, you know, we wanted a a general that was going to march against the Romans for us. Yeah. And that's not what his battle was about. No. His battle was really about fighting sin and, yeah. and destroying sin. Anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. And then uh, everlasting father. Uh, the phrase means uh, a father who will never reject you no matter what. For all eternity, this father will embrace you unconditionally. And that's that's the love of God that we all crave right. and, and need. Um, and then finally, prince of peace. And then he goes on to say that that will be the greatest gift that he brings in verse 7, right? That will be his, his uh, peace is going to be his hallmark. Only it's not peace. The word for peace in this case doesn't mean an absence of war. It means inner peace. Right. Like we talked about last week. Yeah. Right. It was that we don't have to worry about this life. Yeah. I mean, life here sucks at times, no question. Yeah. But knowing that the end result, when it's all said and done, we will be in everlasting glory in heaven with God and Jesus. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> I can make it through knowing that. It's like looking forward to vacation. I just got to get through this last week and then I'm on vacation. I just got to get through this life and then I make it into heaven. <laughs> Same idea. When we talk about prophecy, we often use the term telescoping because they are the prophecies are filled both now and later. Uh, in this case, the prophecy is going to be fulfilled when the people of Zebulun and Naphtali are reunited with uh, the land of Israel. They become part of the Jewish nation again, and they're no longer under the, the dark oppression of the Assyrians. But for the last 2,000 years, it's meant that you and I, uh, we don't have to, to worry about our future. We know that we're loved, and hopefully that helps when the pressures of life get us to thinking dark, deep, depressed thoughts that that joy should actually be uh, what's available to us because of Jesus, exclusively because of Jesus. Amen. All right, anything else on this one? Nope, that's all I have. Okay, have you given a sermon title yet? Calling it No More Gloom. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so if you'd like to listen to this sermon that Rocky delivers, it'll be on our website at www.pondergmc.org. Uh, at the top is a menu called Ministries. Pull that down. Click on the Sermons link. Look for the sermon, No More Gloom. And this will have been delivered on December 11th, 2022. Where are we going next week? Next week into Micah. Micah. Chapter 5. Another very famous... Good seat, sir. We're in the wrong seat, buddy. Come on. Oh, I must be in the front row. Minor prophet. Minor, well, a, a, <laughs> a biblical that prophecy that, that plays out in, in the book of Matthew. Well, we'll hear from Mike next week. Yes, we will. <laughs> Our special guest, Mike. <laughs> Who happens to be active at exactly the same time as Isaiah. They are contemporaries. Interesting. Okay. 
dad joke for you. Yes. Ready? Yes. Since I had COVID last week, I thought of this one. Uh, an apple a day keeps a doctor away. At least it does if you throw it hard enough. <laughs> and with that, I think we'll close this episode. This is Ken Corkins and Rocky Ellison reminding you to love God and be nice to people. Thanks for tuning in. You can find us at www.pondergmc.org. There, you can watch our live stream services, listen to replays of Rocky's sermons, and find other interesting information about us. This has been Pondering the Bible. <laughs>